Hello, everybody. This is Pat O'Connor, president of Minor League Baseball, and you're listening to After Hours, hosted by my good friend, Brandon Apple. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am your host, Brandon Apter. I worked in the industry of minor league baseball for nine years and absolutely loved every minute of it, except for maybe the tarpoles and firework pickup. So I decided to create a podcast about the business of minor league baseball. It's been a lot of fun so far getting to talk to different executives from teams around the country and also having the opportunity to speak with uh, people in the minor league baseball offices, most recently uh, minor league baseball's president and CEO, Pat O'Connor, who was on the last episode. So if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to that, please do. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchored. So subscribe and listen there if you have not already. And you can catch up on any episodes that you may have missed. They're not all time sensitive. So there are some good ones in there that I advise listening to. So sift through them, see if there are any that you like. And hopefully there are a couple that you can listen to and enjoy. So in this episode, we are going to explore the path of branding and rebranding in minor league baseball, but not on the team side of things. We're going to go over to the logo design side of things, as I will be joined by Jason Klein of Brandios, and they are the company that handles the majority of rebrandings and brandings across minor league baseball, whether a team is looking to change their brand or perhaps an organization is moving to a different city and needs to start from the ground up and create a entirely new brand. So Jason has been with Brandios, previously known as Plan B Marketing since the early 2000s, but him and his partner at Brandios, Casey White, have been uh, designing for quite a while now, making high school logos out of their dorm rooms, and they've been friends since kindergarten. So they've set a lot of groundwork, and now their company is all over minor league baseball. And so we'll learn more about his story as to how Brandios uh, became the company that it is today, what the process is behind branding and rebranding. Uh, some of the new team names and, and logos that are out there, and really the trend of rebranding and how it's become such a big part of minor league baseball now, and it probably will be moving forward. So thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Jason Klein of Brandios. All right, everyone, welcome back into this episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. And right now, I'm very happy to be joined by Jason Klein from Brandios. Jason, thanks for taking some time to hop on the show. Thank you. No, this is awesome. I'm so glad to be on and a um, huge fan. The, the interviews are incredible. And um, I just, um, I'm so honored. I appreciate you uh, including us in the whole journey. Yeah, of course. I, I uh, the the first time I ever heard of Brandios or Plan B as it used to be, I believe was yeah. back when I worked with the Wilmington Blue Rocks when they had their logo changeover. Plan B was one of the companies that they were working with in 2010. Yeah, we we um, it was Wilmington Blue Rocks, famous for the Blue Rock um, there in the Delaware, and um, I mean they got what I love about Wilmington. I mean they had like the original rally mascot with yeah. Mr. Celery, you know, <laughs> Mr. Celery set the, the bar of, of what a rally mascot is. And, you know, for those who don't know, a rally mascot is a, a mascot. You can't hug, you can't take a photo with, and it only comes out when something happens during a ritual. So when the team scores, um, Mr. Celery comes out, does a little jig, everybody goes wild. And then he kind of goes back into his hole. And um, I know that you know, early on there was the Celery Squad, which was yeah. a group of yeah, of, of <laughs> no, there was one, students. We we were celebrated yeah. Mr. Celery's birthday. It was one of the initiatives that I had to invite other mascots to early on in my internship there. And uh, I remember that uh, there was a group of kids that were looking to get their uh, actual stalks of celery signed by Mr. Celery. So yeah, the I mean, fan, the fandom like, is, uh, is, is there. No, it was like, it was like, it was like a cold following, you know? Yeah. They were, they're yeah. Called, they were like, yeah, the celery squad, <laughs> and they bring real celery out and 
you know, yeah, sure, it's cool if the Blue Rock score, but like more importantly, can we slap the celery together and summon Mr. Celery? Yeah, out of the, the yeah, it gives out of the gives the team a second identity, really. Although I will say, for Mr. Celery himself, having been uh, in the underneaths of of Frawley Stadium there in Wilmington on days they didn't score, you know, it was a dismal time having to sit under those tunnels for that guy. Hey. Brandon, Brandon's real. It's real. That's what real. I said. What that's a, that's what, what I said. You, you know, I was, he, he was there. You could tell that he didn't look uh, most happy when they when they didn't okay. score. Right. So you know, there are kids listening. So I don't want. I don't want. Yeah, don't we, want, we don't want to ruin much. Ruin Although I did. Uh, childhood. I did interview some. Uh, I did interview the guy who uh, created the fur circus the other day. So we probably ruined the dreams a couple of episodes ago. So we're just adding to it here. So. Oh, okay. Any, right. Anyway, um, so my, minor league baseball as a whole, when you think of it, especially over the past five to ten years, there's the the wacky zany names, the rebranding and everything like that. I, I've spoken to a couple of teams to start off this podcast uh, that have just rebranded, uh, you know, Amarillo Sod Poodles, Rocky Mountain Vibes, Gwinnett Stripers, uh, who rebranded a year ago um, as of this recording, and and really you guys are the the brains and the genius behind most of the rebrandings that happen across minor league baseball but everybody's story starts somewhere i know on the team side of things a lot of people start in ticket sales some people start in marketing some people start in stadium ops but but not you what your story goes all the way back to kindergarten with you and your now uh partner at the company casey white um so yeah. so talk about um, what first sparked your interest with regard to logo design and when you and your partner Casey knew that you had something serious to work with? Yeah, I mean, uh, Casey and I have been best friends since kindergarten. And, you know, as kids, we were always creating and always uh, we love telling stories and finding creative ways to tell stories, whether it was home videos or parades or just ways to get out there and um, and be creative. And we always had a project and we were driving our parents nuts. And, um, you know, Part of that was due in part by having Disneyland sort of in our backyard, so to speak. And Lucky. Um, what we loved about Disneyland was um, this idea that you could leave your everyday life, your daily grind, and you could be transported into a whole other world and a, and a world where millions of people every year are, are coming together <laughs> and um, – and sharing experiences and creating memories um, that last a lifetime and and doing it and being transformed with the power of story. You know, the idea that you could step into a story, that you're immersed in a story, that you are having experience that's guided um, by story. And, and, you know, seven they have like a Disney Parks, I think, is like a seven billion dollar annual business. Um, right. More people visited a Disney Park uh, this this year than all of the major sports leagues combined um so we always contend you know that there was something there and um we started off early doing um you know casey's got a design background i have a sort of mascot background yeah um you know we uh, we started off um designing characters for high schools um our own high school originally and then other high schools and um about that time um i had gotten a mascot scholarship to be the elephant Big Al at Alabama, wow. and Casey was going. Uh, they have to mascot and... scholarships. That's a that's. I something. was yes. They learn something I'd new every day. Out of, um, uh, I'd never been to the South, and they said, "Would you like to be Big Al?" And I said, um, "I'd love to." And so they offered me a scholarship, and um, I was meeting with the licensing director there, and she said, "You know." She was talking about sort of how licensing worked and, you know, looked at our work and said, you guys should really get into minor league baseball. Um, there's just a lot of teams. It seems like really kind of up your alley. And, um, we, you know, being here in, in San Diego, we have the Padres, um, you know, but in our childhood, you know, didn't have – I think I don't think the Storm were around. So minor league baseball is sort of out of our sphere of reference. Right. But when we learned about it, you're like – you're sitting here thinking, okay, there's a team called the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes – they play at the epicenter. Their mascots are Tremor and Aftershock. You mm -hmm. buy merchandise at the Richter store. And it was like Disney storytelling at a sports level. And, you you know, over the years, you come to realize that, you know, what we, what do we say? 20% of the fans, um, diehard fans, they're to watch the game. They follow the players. They know everything that's going on. But 20% of the fans just came to have fun. They don't know yeah. who won. They don't know, um, you know, what the score is. And, 
you know, the idea that 80% of a business could step into a story like they're doing with Rancho Cucamonga was very attractive to us, particularly growing up with the storytelling mindset of, of what we experienced at Disneyland. Right. Yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like a lot of resources as a kid, especially around, around Disneyland. I, I know when I was a kid and I went to Disney World in Florida, but we drove there right. from Pennsylvania, you know, it wasn't in our backyard. So um, that, that's, that's really interesting to, to, get into the mind and and see how the storytelling from Disney and I liked your little pun there. I don't know if it was meant for it or not, but you mentioned a whole new world. I wasn't yeah, sure. No, what, not intentional. <laughs> um, they've, they've got us. They've got us everywhere. Yeah, I, I bet. So um, <laughs> you guys, you guys started as plan B marketing. So how did that develop into what we know today as Brandios? I mean, like every club that we've collaborated with knows, uh, Naming uh, uh, an organization is more difficult than naming your child, and, and it was no different for us. You know, we um, we started off, and we, you know, we, we, you know, early on, who are we? You know, we're just a couple of kids. Uh, you know, at the time, I think we were twenty or, you know, eighteen year old kids or something like that. Twenty year old kids from San Diego. Like, who who are we to like to do this? And um, you know, uh, did we have what it takes? And and so I think we we sort of came up with this idea that well if you didn't like what you were doing with your brand, um, we could, we could be your plan B. Like we'll be your, your, um, we, uh, we will be your running up, runner up, so to speak. And so, um, <laughs> over the years club said, yeah, it kind of felt a little second, uh, you know, sort of second class. <laughs> Selling and, yourself um, short just a little bit. Yeah. Right. And, it, and to make matters worse, you know, once, um, plan B, um, I think the birth control came around when yeah. you start calling people up and saying, Hey, it's Jason from plan B. Um, I'd like to talk to so-and-so, uh, <laughs> and they don't know who plan B is. It can make people a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. So, imagine. um, yeah. And so our business evolved over the years and, um, and we just felt like plan B was great when we started the business out of our college dorm rooms. Um, it served us well, but it, it, it slowly began not to represent who we, who we've grown to be. And the idea of helping clubs, um, to make them famous, to, to, to make their brands larger than life, um, to, uh, to make them over the top and, and the sort of the, the larger than life service and, and the experience that we provide to clubs. Um, we needed something that better resonated and better told that story. And that's how we came across Brandiose. Awesome. Um, now you mentioned the first team that you really kind of thought about was the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. Was that, would you say the first team that kind of helped you guys realize that, okay, like we could have something here? Yeah. I mean, that, that was our first sort of like understanding of the way that the, the paradigm worked. And I know that our first or very first project, you know, we sent, gosh, this is before email. We sent, we literally sent like real hand you know like sort of letters there out, are people um, that still hand send handwritten notes to minor league baseball teams yeah no um us included and and we we sent um we sent letters out to all 160 teams and one got back to us at the time it was the west tennessee diamond jacks and they said you know if we like it you know we'll buy it and we said okay great um you know what what's our challenge and they said well um we're the diamond jacks and i said okay what's a diamond jack and they said uh that's why you guys are here is to help us figure out what a diamond jack was and so um we that was the first challenge was to figure out how to apply this disney sense of storytelling to trying to figure out what a diamond jack was and i think we had um we had a donkey um was a diamond jack we had a um a, a jack of diamonds and then we had this idea of this character named Jem Dandy, who was a diamond miner in the, the hills of Tennessee. And um, we built this whole brand, you know, of a, this handlebar mustache character. And, you know, they were at Pringles Park, so that wasn't lost on people. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, there was foam pickaxes that you could buy and, and they sold tons of these mustaches. And it was like, you know, you were Mickey Mouse ears, but you were wearing um, Jem Dem dandy mustaches in, yeah. in Jackson, Tennessee. And Casey and I, we went, um, it was our first time we went to visit and we, um, we went to the ballpark after we had built the brand and, and just sort of visited. And, um, uh, we looked around and something was off. We couldn't figure it out. And we realized that, um, uh, it wasn't authentic. Right. And the, you know, there are no diamond mines in the hills of Tennessee mm -hmm. and it didn't, authentically represent 
the community and, and didn't represent the, the story that, that the community was all about. And from that point forward, we made a commitment to our clubs and to ourselves. And uh, we just felt like it was a disservice um, never to build a full rebrand, never to brand a team um, without doing proper research, getting our boots on the ground, meeting with people, understanding the story. And from that day forward, we decided we're absolutely going to visit clubs um, to make sure that we create things that are authentic. Yeah, and I think you see that more and more with with each of these rebrandings. You know, going back to, um, you know, the Iron Pigs, the home of Pig Iron, the Akron right. Rubber Ducks, the rubber the rubber capital of the U.S., and then even like the Binghamton Rubber uh, Rumble Ponies, which is the carousel capital of the world. So there's always exactly. something cool to um, exploit to to really get to be a part of your identity here. So um, it's always good to see those teams, especially looking into their history or what their community is passionate about to, to use that to create their identity. Yeah. And that, that's the great thing about minor league baseball is, you know, this isn't, we're not, we're not talking about Miami or New York or Los Angeles. We're talking about communities um, that are most of America, you know, s- smaller communities that, um, you know, um, that we get, you know, they get terrible terms like flyover towns or, yeah. you know, we just, we, we, they don't, they don't get the dignity that they deserve. And, um, they are, um, I, I think that that's what, you know, someone asked me like, what is your, what is your role at the end of the day? And I said, you know, our job is to make the teams famous and our job is to, to create significance to those teams. But I think it goes deeper. I think the, the, the reason that we exist as a, as a business and a company is to work to bring dignity to towns that, you know, whether they have inferiority complexes or, you know, they're just not, they're not, they're not New York, they're not Miami, yeah. but that doesn't make them any less special. That doesn't make them. It doesn't make any them any less, less of a home to people that live there. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's the, that's the, the sort of the magic of what we do is to figure out like, okay, what is a story that makes you special, whether it's the carousel capital of the world, whether it's um, the original seafood capital of the world, whether it is the, um, you know, uh, the community that created a lot of steel that built America. Right. You know, that's that that brings that town dignity. That brings that community dignity. And um, and so I think that's twofold. One of it, uh, the goals is to create something that the, the, the hometown community says, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's who we are. That's that's what that's what we're all about. That's what makes us unique. Yeah. That's why we're special. But also for the fans outside of the community who say, I, I've never been to Binghamton. I don't know what Binghamton's about. Like yeah. they're the carousel capital of the world. And then you know, we have the ability to make um make communities that um haven't had a voice to make them cool, to make them approachable, to make them revered and celebrated. And when you're traveling on a, um, you know, when you're when you're when you're on an international flight and you land on Paris and you see somebody wearing a sod poodle shirt, yeah, I know that you know that we are from that that community, or I know that you're from that community. I know what that's about, yeah. And it brings significance and and again dignity to those towns. Yeah, and I think each town reacts differently. You'll always have different fan reaction. Uh, one of the examples that I always like to go back to, and I think it's one that really sparked this whole rebranding trend. I know you guys worked with the Iron Pigs and that was kind of not, not an an insanely zany name, but still a little out there. Um, But, but when it comes to to starting all of this, I look back to like the El Paso Chihuahuas when a lot of people were just like, Oh my God, like this is terrible. But now they're viewed as one of the most successful minor league organizations in the country. Yeah. And I, 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 um, you're absolutely right. I think it's funny. You're like, it wasn't as wacky as, you know, the iron pigs, but well, um, I know, I know the on their menu, re- you can like hit seven to hear an iron pig squeal too. So they're, they're right. really embracing it. Yeah, no. So the, the iron pigs was really the franchise that turned the tables. And, um, you know, to, to give you a, um, a, a background, people say, Oh, these names are so wacky and they're crazy and they're getting outrageous. And Oh my, like, when's it going to end? But if you look at the history of minor league baseball, it goes way back to the 1800s. And um, my favorite story is the Civil War had just concluded um, and the country was in a time of healing and people were, were going back to their homes. 
And uh, during the war, they uh, a lot of the soldiers got um, introduced to German cigars, and they were relatively more expensive. We didn't we just didn't have that kind of industry in America at the time. Right. And so when people came back home in Wheeling, West Virginia, you know, they started rolling uh, cigars, and and your grandfather was rolling cigars, your grandmother, and your it was an, it was a it was a community industry. Um, and so when baseball came to Wheeling, West Virginia. They were naturally called the Wheeling Stogies. Now, when we look back, you know, a hundred years later, it's real easy for us just to laugh and say the Wheeling Stogies. That's a crazy name. Yeah. But you have to understand, like, that stood for the heart and soul and what it meant to be from Wheeling, West Virginia. Right. And so when they, when baseball came and they played the Grand Rapids Furniture Makers, right? <laughs> Like yep. it was about what it meant to be from Grand Rapids versus what it meant to be from Wheeling. And, um, you know, then fast forward all of that, you know, that heritage was just sort of like, you know, sold, sold away. And, and, and you had, you know, the teams like the, I don't know, like the, the Honolulu Metropolitans or, you know, just, it just, it didn't make sense. Right. Know, these major league teams were owning minor league teams. You didn't have it. So um, one of the things that we started maybe back with Clearwater was let's return baseball to embracing, um, you know, hometown identities. What makes that team special? What makes that community special? Let's return that to where the original roots of minor league baseball started. So then fast forward, you have the iron pigs in 2008 and our, our entire process, I give a hundred percent credit to Chuck Domino, um, you know, who was sort of, um, as part of that process. And, you know, we, uh, you know, he led us through and, and really our, our play, you know, our process, how we approach things is really guided by, um, by Chuck and, and sort of, you know, his right. concept. And, um, you know, we, I remember sitting around a conference room, it was Joe Finley and it was, uh, uh Kurt Landis and it was, um, Craig Stein and Domino. And we were all here and we were, we were just, you know, was, the question was like, you know, um, how can we can we be the can we be, can this is this possible the iron pigs and uh i think uh i think earlier you know kurt kurt was um was in uh hagerstown and was he had given away a vasectomy or something like that right, as a promotion yeah. and i said kurt if that's if 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 we're gonna if that's gonna be the type of um over out the top outrageous experience like a name like the iron pigs fits really well with lining up with the type of operation that you guys are going to have. And you can see over the past decade or so how, how that's manifested itself in, in the way that they run the club. But at the time that was a scary thought. I right. remember, you know, uh, sort of like Joe Finley was like, Oof. he, we kind of all looked to him and said, I think it should be the iron pigs. And he's going like, wow, I'm, I'm going to have to go to the mayor and say, Mr. Mayor, thank you for, um, you know, thank you for, for the funding for the stadium. We're going to name your team, the pigs. And, it, it, and and so you have this okay what do we do what do we do? the iron pigs how do we go about this and um and casey and i i think we went about it we said we're gonna we're gonna take a really major league approach to this we're gonna we're gonna take a really majorly um creative uh direction so a lot of it's a lot more major league than than you would think mm -hmm. and um there was a point in which we had to decide whether or not we were going to um uh you know release the name before we released the logos and Chuck said, no, no, let's release the name first. And everybody was like, that's going to go crazy. Cause they're going to expect we're going to be Porky pig. And this is going to be outrageous. And, and Chuck's like, you know what? I've seen the logo. I know what it's, it's not Porky pig. Right. It's a tough as nails logo that represents the, the fighting spirit of the Lehigh Valley. And it's going to blow their minds. So I want them to think Porky pig. I want them to sort of go down that path and think that that's where it's going to go. And so, um, we all sort of white knuckled it and we got through it and it was a huge hit. You know, it was still it was number is. one. Yeah. Number one, that launch year uh, of all minor league retail sales. And um, so anyways, it was, it was, um, it was incredible. And, um, and Chuck, you know, Chuck really wrote the whole script. Yeah. Um, when it, when it comes to starting a completely new brand, you mentioned a little bit of the process with Lehigh Valley, how it was guided by Chuck Domino. Um, but, you know, talking like teams like the Trash Pandas or the Rocky Mountain Vibes, how, how much collaboration yeah. is there starting off and how involved are you guys in the process? Or is it kind of an organization to organization sort of thing? 
Yeah, it's it is a true collaboration. You know, um, I think I mentioned, you know, the very first thing we do is we pack our bags and we head uh, to that town that we're going to be collaborating with. And we, we we spend a couple of days there becoming honorary citizens and we meet with season ticket holders or potential season ticket holders and um, community leaders and potential sponsors and the staff. And we really just sponge and we 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 take this journey together and we make thoughtful observations and we say, oh, did you notice when we went to that one place that they said that one thing or you know, we don't, we, we've learned never to come in um, presumptuous. Like we, we, we have the, all the answers. Like we know it's just not our style. And we've learned the hard way that, you know, like, like uh, West Tennessee diamond jacks. If you think, you know, it, you, you're probably going to be wrong. You have to do your research. You can't, you, you can't make a decision before you've spent time breaking bread. And so, um, you know, the trash pen is a great example. We spent several times in Madison, seven days in Madison, excuse me. And, um, and uncovering like what what made Madison tick and what made the community tick and, and the challenges and um, and the growth and, and how are they managing um, you know uh, sort of the next era of of the community and so then we you know um, uh, you know we we have a call for entries and we have fans that you know submit ideas and then we sort of sit down and you know kind of weed through everything with um, with the the uh, the ownership and the staff it really is a truly collaborative process I think um, people would be surprised on how um, you know we you know we're, we're we don't it's not like like you know like a big ad agency where we come in and we give right. our pitch and it's got to be this way and if it's not there's you know people are throwing cake it's not, it's just not that yeah. it's not the yeah. way we are with, with stuff um, like this when it involves an entire city and an entire identity for a community you can't be anything but thorough. Yeah. And you just, you don't, you don't know where a good idea is going to come from. It might come from the grandson of um, the owner. It might come from the sister of the, um, you know, the, uh, the council member, you just don't know. And, and so you have to be open and, um, and there are times too. I mean, you know, there, I, I think um, the trash pan is a great example. Casey was like early on, he was like, I, I feel I feel like this should name should be a contender. And I was like, I don't know. So yeah. there are times where I'm all in on a concept and, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the staff is, you know, need some convincing or Casey needs some convincing, or sometimes the staff's all in on an idea and, and we need convincing. So it really is. Um, we just really keep it open. And, you know, there's a, there's a pathway that we're, that we're attempting to follow. Um, we don't believe in formulas. There are some patterns that we've seen that lead to success. But um, we kind of let the process go where it wants to go, and 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 our job is to keep the rails on it. But mm-hmm. um, it eventually leads to a place where everybody who is part of that process feels like they have ownership. Because you know, one of the things about it is is that you know after the brand turns over, and and a lot of these clubs we continue to to have uh, we on retainer and we work with every year, but they those teams and those staffs have to live eat and breathe that brand every day and if they don't feel like it's theirs like they were part of of giving birth to it and um that they have emotional connection to it it just it, it's gonna fall flat right it's, you know it's it, it they, they have to embrace it even more than we embrace it and so um and we just it, we never you know force anything down somebody's throat and say you gotta do this or you know, it's just that's again, it's not our style. Now, since you guys do brandings and rebrandings, what what would you say with regard to the process of the creation and the launch of the brand? Is there that much of a difference between creating an entirely new one and rebranding? Um, you mean so like um, if like the Tulsa Drillers was going through an update versus um, you know, the the sod poodles where we're creating something from scratch. Yeah, or even like a team that's staying in the same city, like Gwinnett, and just changing their yeah. name uh, to from the Braves to the Stripers uh, in comparison to a team that's just starting in a completely new city. Yeah, the process is generally the same. Um, there are some, you know, if you're going to um, involve the community in the process and, and bring them in for the input and feedback um, and, and to solicit ideas from them, you know, that, that starts, you know, a month before um or two months sometimes. So, you know, there, there is a pre-process that changes if you're going to come up with um, a, a new name, but the process is really similar. And I think it's a process that, that any business is looking to do is um, I want to get people emotionally attached 
to what we're doing. I want them to be, um, I want them to, I want to, I want candidly, we run a business. I want them to, to buy what we create. Right. Um, I want notoriety. I want people to talk about us. I want, um, it to be authentic. You know, I want it to say something authentically about who we are. I want it to be a signal of, um, you know, what they can expect when they come out to the ballpark. Um, I want it to have badge value, meaning that um, I want to be able to wear it on the plane on the other side of the country and somebody stop me and go, ah, yeah. I know the vibes or I know the, the sock. I mean, I saw or, a Casper you know. ghost hat like two weeks ago yeah. in downtown Atlanta. Yeah, we think a lot about that. We think that is those, those moments where you see something across an airport um, or you see something way out of the market and you go, ah, I know that. Um, there's a connection, there's an, emotional, there's an emotional connection, the moment that happens there. We think a lot about how to create those and, and the psychology that goes into it. So I remember, um, you know, uh, you know, as we were talking with it was Alan Ledford after we were doing a, a wrap-up call on the um, Chihuahuas brand, and Alan Ledford, who's the president of Mountain Sports, said, Jason, I didn't realize, yeah, design's part of this, and that's, you know, the, the design is a very important part. But so much of what this is is about psychology and sociology and um, cultural anthropology, and it's it, there's way there is an art to it, and and the art part is really important. And I mean that both the physical art, but also the you know the, how you approach a project. But there is um, we are sort of working with what we know about human behavior to um, to drive the process. Right, um, and, and when it comes to new brands. I mentioned it before. Uh, you're always going to get a group of fans that that likes it, and you're going to get a, a group of fans that doesn't like it, and they're going to speak their minds on on Facebook, Twitter, whatever yeah. social media <laughs> they, those keyboard heroes can get their uh, hands on. Um, so, I mean, yeah. so, so is there anything that you've noticed uh, about the trends of fan reaction with regard to branding and how it kind of develops over time when the brand is there? Yeah. I mean, people always ask us, isn't it the worst thing when people hate what you guys do or hate what your teams do? Isn't that the worst thing? I said, no, the worst thing is when they're apathetic about it. Yeah. You know, like that's the worst thing. Passion is great. Passion one way or another, you can get people to, to, you know, the lovers always convert the haters. And I think part of it is just a communication thing. Um, so many people are expecting a major league name for a minor league baseball team they're like right. this is not the yankees this is not the red Sox." um and on a side note you know if you know that has its own problems with it because if i told you hey i got a great name for a team yeah what's that uh the purple pants you'd be like <laughs> the purple pants that's ridiculous yeah but if i said what about the red socks you'd be like okay that's fine yeah so we so can that, work with so that it sounds good yeah yeah, so uh, so 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 like the idea of what a major league team name versus a minor league team name is like another conversation for another day, but um, but yeah, you you want people to be passionate about it. Um, like you don't. There's so much stuff that's just tastefully dull. Yeah. If I asked you right now and I said, um, I want you to write down all 30 major league baseball teams, you would sit there and uh, there'd be names that came right at the top. Yep. And then there would be that last couple names that you struggle you're like who am i missing who are you missing and that's because those teams are tastefully dull hmm. like you don't think about them you don't they're not being talked i can't really about. say not, i ever think about the seattle mariners i mean yeah and and right and and so and it's also regionally if you're from seattle it's going to be different sure yeah New York, but but like you want you want to be top of mind you want to be a team that that people remember and people talk about and that people say what is you know lehigh valley's got a great mantra we always want our fans to be thinking what is lehigh valley going to do next like, right. what are they going to come up with next and um that's part of this whole process is you want you want to be you know you want to create passion you know you don't you don't want to be forgettable yeah um and kind of piggybacking off of that when it comes to making logo packages, there's obviously a story behind uh, each of the the team names, the the mascot, the new mascot, uh, and, and the logos that that go around it uh, to represent the new brands. But one thing, at least I've noticed, I'm sure some other people have noticed, is that um, a lot of Brandios's um, 
logos, there's similar trends to them, whether it be a mascot swinging a bat or how letters are intertwined. So is there a specific thought process behind keeping some of these things uniform or is that, is it just kind of how things work out? Yeah, I think um, that's a good, those are good observations. There's a couple, a couple of things I'll try to pick apart there. You know, the first thing is to understand the theme of minor league baseball. The theme of minor league baseball, uh, and I don't mean theme in terms of the theme park, but the theme in terms of what the story is actually about is these ordinary players um, who are at all you know, against all odds rising up and trying to accomplish this feat, something extraordinary, of trying to make it to the big leagues. And um, statistically, you know, odds are not in their favor. And so um, it's also the story of America, which is ordinary people rising up and accomplishing or, uh, extraordinary things. Um, so this idea of an underdog is, is uh, it's really built into the business itself. It's built into the players. It's built into what it means to be American is ordinary people right. rising up and accomplishing extraordinary things. And so um, you'll see a lot of that theme of the underdog in a lot of what we do, things that are um, – you know, um, uh, characters that just don't have a chance. You know, if I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to put a rubber duck up to a bull, or I'm going to put a rubber duck up to against a, um, a lion or a tiger or a bear or a jaguar, uh, they don't have a chance. And I think that that, that dynamic is what makes the stories resonate so well with so many Americans. The, the, I mean, stories, I mean, the merchandise yeah. is that, is that it is it's an underdog story um you know the other thing too is that you know i think i think people always joke i oh, brandy us with a swinging bat character you know the the history of major league baseball has got swing bats everywhere like if you look at the um sort of the uh, the last hundred years i think like 15 major league uh, teams have had swinging characters um whether you know the obvious ones are you know the swinging friar and um you know, Mr. Redlegs, but the Red Sox had a swinging character. I'm sure the Mr. Indians had a Mrs. Swinging Met character. has been a swinging character before. Mr. Met's been a swinging character. Um, and, and one of the things that, um, you know, we're, we're not always just about sort of trying to be the next thing or figuring out how to, how to remain relevant. Heritage and history are really important. So one of the things is, as, um, as, as attention-grabbing as the team names are, our uniforms are generally pretty conservative. Right. You know, we... When we do when we do um, brand uniforms, you'll notice they are very traditional. Um, Jersey script is usually very traditional, so it's not always wackiness. Um, we're also really, um, you know, in terms of the heritage of baseball, we talked a little bit about um, the, the, the Wheeling Stogies and naming a hundred years ago, but also the iconography. You know, um, for the last hundred years, sleeve patches and and these historic, you know, what are generally been character driven at the major league level. Um, we really want to embrace and celebrate those classic icons of baseball, which are those those character sleeve patches. And a lot of those character sleeve patches in the history of Major League Baseball have been swinging characters. Hmm. So um, um, do we bring, you know, heritage into the forefront and try to find a way to reimagine and reinvent it? Absolutely. Um, and I think that's kind of why you see um, – things come out that are whether swing characters or underdog characters. That's why you see that. Right. Um, now we, we've talked already so much about branding and rebranding the process behind that. But one of the things that minor league baseball teams are trending towards these days is, is having initiatives where they can take on another identity for a short period of time. I know there are teams yes. that do throwback jerseys um, and especially uh, this season the 2019 season and 2018 and moving forward the uh copa della diversion that uh minor league baseball is doing now there are 70 plus teams involved in, in doing that probably going to increase over the years so so yeah. what's the difference i guess for you guys when it comes to creating these one shot or you know two three shot logos um opposed to like creating an entire new brand i imagine it's probably a little bit quicker of a turnaround time it, it is. And, you know, the, the purpose of these, um, uh, I, I think they're going to be called theme nights now, so I want to stick to script, but like the, the purpose of these theme night identities, you know, in the, in the past, you would just, um, hey, we're going to have like Saved by the Bell night. Let's have Mr. Belding out. We'll do like a jersey. We'll auction it off. Uh, proceeds go to charity and we'll call it a night. Right. And that was that was the old way, the old world way of doing it. 
Um, and, um, but after, you know, sort of 20 years of experience, we've gotten really good at launching brands, um, that generate a ton of publicity and generate a huge profit for our clubs. And it started with the iron pigs, as I mentioned, then the flying squirrels, the rubber ducks, the jumbo shrimp, then the trash pandas, the sod poodles, the vibes, um, which I, I read, um, I just, I read the newspaper in Madison or, or Huntsville that, um, that said that the trash pandas did like $1.4 million without even you know, playing yeah. a, a single game, not playing their so first we, game until next year. Yeah. Which is incredible, yeah. um, and, and and they do they're doing they're really hustling. That staff is hustling, but um, but about a year or two ago, we thought to ourselves, what if we took the playbook we we know works to launch million dollar brands, and use them to launch theme nights? And I think you know one of the very first food nights um, was uh, Lehigh Valley's Val, excuse me Lehigh Valley's bacon strip hat. Right. Um, that was the first, you know, that really kicked it off. And they, they followed up with the Lehigh Valley cheesesteaks. Um, and then, you know, the rivalry that existed with Fresno, the, the bacon versus tacos. Yeah. And so you know, that really, you know, we had the opportunity to collaborate with Lehigh to, to launch the, you know, the, the beginning of the food night craze. Um, and then we worked with Corpus Christi uh, on Dia de los Hooks, which was kind of the first Copa before there was Copa. Um, yeah. I think Copa launched the year after that. Um, and now we're seeing multiple clubs get into our, our six figure club with their theme nights. Um, and so it's, it's really, um, you know, we're, 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 we have a great deal of gratitude and, 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 um, and really grateful for, you know, the, t- the clubs that we were able to collaborate with in the past 20 years to figure out, okay, you know, how do we tweak that? How do we move that? How do we get that? How do we get that? How do we get to the point where we can launch a really big um, brand and then, can we take that playbook, um, you know, which we've been doing now and using it to help launch theme nights? Um, so, again, it's not just Mr. Belding and it's, you know, say by the bell. It's OK. How do we create a whole retail line yeah. that not just people from, you know, who are into say by the bell locally are into, but like, can we create a deeper cut um, retail line that national say by the bell fans say i gotta get that i gotta yeah. get that you know and, and we've seen that happen um whether it's um you know a theme night that celebrates the community and the stories and the food and the culture and the traditions of the community or whether it's a theme night that is a celebration of some part of pop culture yeah and and you could tell the excitement around stuff like that like the copa initiative uh, the minor league baseball had that entire website dedicated to it. And all of the logos for that were just really, really neat, uh, top to bottom. Yeah. There were none that, that didn't look like really, really cool. So I'm sure there, it, I'm sure there were people from, uh, different States looking at other teams, logos and, and paraphernalia and, and ordering that stuff off the internet like relatively uh, quickly. They, minor league baseball did an incredible job of it. Um, now, now we talk so much about these new logos, new brandings or anything, but when you guys go through a process of creating new brand, are there ever any classic logos that you guys look at or any favorite classic logos that you go back to to be like, okay, well, maybe we can fit a little bit of this into there or something like that? Yeah, I think um, we're definitely influenced by mid-century, like mid-century, gosh, we're in a new century now, like mid-century, <laughs> last century, Um like product, product advertising. So, um, you know, the same, you know, the, whether it's Mr. Red Legs or, or the Swing and Friar, which came later sort of uh, in the Padres era, uh, later mid-century, but like Swing and Friar, Mr. Red Legs, Mr. Yeah, it's still Met. weird saying mid-century. Yeah, I know. We're, we're going to say it. We're just, yeah, we're just going to say <laughs> it's it. It's going to roll. Um, yeah, and those characters, you know, they were signed at the same time, Tony the Tiger and, and uh, Snap, Crackle, and Pop, um, and so I think that there's there is a an innocence about mid-century um, product characters, mid-century sports characters. There's an innocence, there's a naive, you know, naivety about them um, that that I think is really a wholesomeness that we love mm-hmm. um, that fits well into minor league baseball. Um, but we're also you know looking. We have contemporary rep- references that we're always looking about. You know whether it's colors or whether it's pop culture. Or, you know what what is some other stuff, but um, I think that's probably the touchstone from a classic standpoint that we're, right. you know, runs to our minds a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. When I was writing that question, I was 
I was interested to see if there were any sports logos in there, but to hear it come from cereals and stuff puts a new sheds a new light as to how those ideas come to fruition over the years. Yeah, and it, it keeps. I think it keeps it folksy. I think it keeps minor league baseball folksy. Yeah. And it uh, also makes me really hungry for a bowl of Frosted Flakes. Yes. Oh man, when we were working on Pizza Rats, I ate pizza <laughs> like every day. I was like, Casey's like, "What are you gonna do for lunch?" I'm like, oh, "I'm gonna go get some pizza. I'm starving, yeah. man." Because you just you know, well, it's like every time you watch Ninja Turtles, even when when you see them eating that I, crappy pizza, I know, I'm just right? like I yeah. need some of that. Yeah. So um, the, yeah, so you do. There was there's another team that we were working on um, at the time, and I ate a lot of whatever that brand <laughs> brand was. Yeah, uh, pizza sounds good. Uh, unfortunately, uh, me being from Philly, I would have loved to to eat some cheesesteaks when the Lehigh Valley team was doing cheesesteaks, but they don't really yeah. have Philly cheesesteaks here in Atlanta. Well, they do have Philly cheesesteaks. They're they're not authentic though. They're not really authentic so, anywhere outside of there. So when you bought your Philly cheesesteak hat, did you buy it with onions or did you buy it without onions? It, it's got to do it with onions. I was not team I was with. not uh, yeah, I was not an onions guy to start off my cheesesteak career. I don't really eat them much anymore just because you know, I'm looking out for my for my health. Um, yeah. But uh, I never liked onions to start with. But, man, do they add a heck of a lot when it comes to a cheesesteak. <laughs> um, and this is the moment where someone listening right now is like, oh, you know my what? God. Yeah. <laughs> I think I need a cheesesteak right now. Um, so, yeah. When you talk about product placement like that, minor league baseball has had a lot of product placement um, every week now on ESPN Sports Center. Um, or, or even other programs talking about what minor league teams are doing. Uh, but it seems like every week now a minor league team is featured for doing something like a neat promotion or rebranding their name for something special. What was that team that you did, the Utter? Uh, it was with the, the Utter Tuggers, the yeah. Utter, the Utter Tuggers. I think I saw them, may have saw them on there once. So how cool is it yeah. to see that you and your friend from kindergarten really see this company growing from creating high school logos in your dorm to now being like a weekly highlight on ESPN. Yeah. I mean, we're super fortunate. We're very fortunate um, that 16 out of the past 20 weeks, ESPN has honored our club collaborations and um, uh, we couldn't do it without the trust and the collaboration of the club. So they really deserve all the credit. Um, You know, it's, it's been really, it's been surreal. Uh, It has been. And, um, but also it's been really cool you know, as we talked about um, uh, giving a voice to the league and giving a voice to um, all of our communities, it's really cool to see that. You know, it's really cool to see people geek out like on national TV Saturday morning. You yeah. know, <laughs> they've, they've they grinded through their week and then they sit down and uh, you know wake up Saturday morning. They pop on Sports Center and they get to learn about uh, gosh, you know the dairy industry in Wisconsin yeah. and the utter tuggers and, and, and the, the ability that we have the, uh, that we have to bring joy to that person's life. Um, they get to wake up and, and have some fun and, you know, and, and seeing the talent on air, get a kick out of it. You know, I mean, um, it's, you know, when you're, when you're working at ESPN, you know, you're kind of doing the same thing over and over again, over again, it's the same yeah. types of stories. It's the same, you know, it, 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 the characters play or, or excuse me, the characters change and, you know, the context changes, but you know, it's sports. And then when you get to have fun for a minute or two, um, you know, I, I, my favorites when the, when the, uh, the, the, the minor league promotion of the week is, is sort of donut, it's got a donut in the middle of the top 10 plays. And so they start off talking about it and then, you know, they're giving the top 10 plays, but they can't get through the top 10 plays without a pun or a joke or yeah. having fun or, um, you know, it's almost like they'd rather go back to talking about yeah. the promo of the week than to talk about, you know, the top 10 plays because, you know, you see, you see it so much. And so, um, no, we've been really fortunate. It's, um, it's been a huge honor and, um, and a dream come true. you like, who would it, you know, who would it expect it? I mean, you know, maybe yeah. once to be on sports center, but 16 times was really, it was, it was pretty special. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about these rebrandings every year. It seems like a few teams, a handful of teams even, are, are rebranding. Um, you know, you look at the minor league baseball landscape now, concluding the 2019 season. There are teams that 
are likely going to be on the move. A couple of new teams that are starting, Rocket City, uh, Trash Pandas, and, and there's going to be a new team in Wichita moving from New Orleans. So do you guys have stuff in the works already for next season? I know you probably can't reveal a whole lot if you do, but uh, what are you guys looking forward to most as this rebranding trend continues to move forward in uh, seasons Oof. to come? Yeah. Um, that is a great uh, question. I'm trying to think of like all this, like, can we talk about this product? Can we not talk about this? Um, we are, um, we are working on a handful of unveilings set to happen this fall. Can I quote you super, on that? Um, <laughs> you can quote me on that. Um, I'm just sort of like, <laughs> yeah. Full disclosure. Well, I'm it's like, like it's I'm like you you look at uh, name and Brandios to see you you look at somebody like interviewing a, a cast of TV stars, t- asking yeah. about the upcoming season, and you try to see them I'm, awkwardly I'm gonna dance spoil, around. Uh, Stranger Things uh, right now for you. I'm gonna tell you all. But <laughs> I don't watch no, the no, show, no. so it doesn't matter to me. Yes. Okay. So, um, yes, we we can't. I can officially say that we are working with the Connecticut Tigers on a brand new team name and look for 2020. All right. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I, just, I don't, this is because this is where it's going to happen. I, I, was, I was listening. I heard, uh, I, I heard on the, I'm, I think this is happened. Um, but yeah, no, we're working with a handful of teams. Um, lots of fun stuff. I, I fans are going to love if, if you loved, um, you know, stuff that we've done before, you're really going to love what we're working on now. Well, well, that's awesome, Jason. Again, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to hop on the show. And hopefully after another slew of rebrands, I can have you back to, to talk about the stories yeah. behind them and uh, hear, hear more from uh, Brandios moving forward. Yes. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I'm so grateful for the time and um, we'll, we'll do it again soon. All right, everyone, thanks again for tuning in to this episode of After Hours featuring Jason Klein from Brandios. If you want to learn more about them, you can visit them online at brandios.com, spelled B-R-A-N-D-I-O-S-E.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at Brandios, spelled the same way. All of their logo packages and rebrandings that come out are posted on that Twitter account as they're made official, so make sure to give them a follow on there. You can find After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and a lot of other podcast platforms. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at After Hours Pod. Thanks again for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode as we continue to dive into the industry of minor league baseball.